0: Okay, we're on. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Data Driven podcast sponsored by Expresso.ai. Expresso is a lifecycle management platform for artificial intelligence and machine learning applications. It is built on an integrated set of frameworks and accelerators to help data scientists build cognitive solutions quickly and easily. Today, we are joined by Arthur Wanzel, a co founder and the head of artificial intelligence at Jam. That's jam with two M's. Arthur, how are you doing today? I'm doing absolutely well. Lovely to be here. It is awesome to have you on the show. Let's get a bit of your background for context, and then we can jump into some of the main topics.
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a Detroiter in Singapore,
0: and (laughs) I'm not sure how I got here. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure how I got here, really? You just woke up one day? Was it one of those kidney extraction things? Or?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was kind of a, uh, you know, somewhat of a, I mean, a journey, but, but like a stumbling journey. So, you know, when it all started back in Detroit, I came from a very, like, very interesting multicultural, like, household. Basically, my mother's side was all Puerto Ricans, and then my father's side was all Polish. And it was the most interesting kind of mix growing up to add to that they were all psychologists right so you know here we have this like flavorful like latin kind of emotional take on psychology and then on the other hand we have this very kind of logical like crisp like you know just the facts of, now. yeah <laughs> exactly and in a lot of ways as i traced out from here to singapore it was it was pretty much kind of systematically unraveling those dynamics over time you know kind of i had both you know we have the robotics and then we also have like the the human psychology aspects both really inspired my direction yeah and so there's a sequence of events that led me here okay but that that was fundamentally
0: kind of a theme so where does is your dad from poland proper or is he just of polish descent and just grew up in detroit so uh actually all my grandparents are immigrants and again they have radical different stories
1: um you know polish side was pretty much avoiding the nazis world war ii and then the puerto rican side was just kind of this like traveling from like latin america to spain to detroit for some reason it was just a kind of more meandering wow and where did mom and dad meet
0: Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't leave after that. That was it. They're like, okay, I've met you. You've met me. We're done. Let's have a family. (laughs) It's an interesting experience, I think, to grow up in a house with two psychologists or psychiatrists. I don't think we have to delve too deep into that to understand why. But I'm curious from your perspective, right? Your job as an artificial intelligence guy looking at data and working inside a jam, maybe you can just give us a quick history of what jam is first, and then we can jump into how the human psychology and artificial intelligence kind of play with each other and play off each other, if that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Jam
1: fundamentally is, it's it's an IOT device. Basically we have, um, it's a it's a dash cam, AI powered dash cam that really gives you behavioral insights into how you drive that you're able to leverage for car insurance savings. And so we're using kind of insurance as a vehicle to, to add additional incentivization to maybe understanding how you drive, right? Because if we're able to show you, hey, look, you know, in the morning, let's say that, you know, your attention is just, it's all over the place. You know, maybe you're distracted so much more in the morning. Uh, Maybe you have tunnel vision. We can really show you those patterns. Right. And to add additional incentivization, you know, to really kind of drive that home, like, why would you care? We can also save you money through that. Okay. Because we're going to help work with you to be safer so that Through the understanding of the data, through the behavioral change, we're able to uh, save you money.
0: Okay. And how does this human psychology and AI work together? Like, what is similar from your perspective between this sort of psychological aspect and the artificial intelligence? Fundamentally, what we're talking about, the, the, the greatest part about AI, and if you see how
1: AI has developed over the last 50 years, you know, we've gotten really far in really understanding what is information like what, how do we extract information from the real world, right. right? In ways that we weren't able to do for before, you know, currently, we can extract it from videos, um, audio recordings, yep. and we're able to piece it together in, in such interesting ways to kind of replicate kind of this, you know, intelligent behavior, in a sense, if you want to call it that. If you think about when, you know, in the 20th century, while we we're starting to lay down the foundation of logic, encoding information, signal processing, and then we started developing kind of these rudimentary systems with rule-based systems, expert systems, and eventually kind of these neural net systems that are able to work on data sources that are a little bit more unstructured, more flexible, can be easily put into the real world. We see that we really kind of understood what information is, and we've been having this kind of century-long dialogue about what is information and i think that that's kind of where it stops the ai and where we really pick up the, is that we live in it right we live in this ether of experience of um, kind of like that's that's our water right you know is is the is the day-to-day world we're interacting with so many things and we have to understand it and so when i see the bridge between the two i see that here's this, here's rational thought for what is information? How do we get this information out of the world? And then here's this kind of embodied emotional experience of just living in it, right? And so I take, I take the psychology as the inspiration, but I always try and ground it out into the you know, logical artificial
0: intelligence. Wow, it sounds like growing up in your house actually prepared you perfectly for this because you got both sides of it. Is that fair? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just based on your explanation.
1: Well, you know, it, didn't, it, was, it was really an interesting story, you know, because I, I started with the fundamental question. You know, I think when you're younger, you have a lot more things going on. You're learning a lot more. And uh, I think everybody has these moments yep. where, you know, you're sitting, maybe you're seeing a sunset or something and it's really beautiful and you have this like epiphany. like wow this is magnificent and you make some 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 magic happens in your head it's a magical experience right you know for me i was like well where does that come from you know where where do these epiphanies come from and that was like this cycle deeply psychological question that has taken me years to kind of unravel and i've just been going i went deep 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 into you know, human psychology to try and understand it. And then eventually I was like, no, look, you have to start kind of piecing it together, like logically, like in a way that can make sense.
0: How can we learn from the way the mind processes and our brain processes information? It's really interesting because you said earlier, you know, we learned how to process video, we learned how to process audio, we learned how to process sensory, But the reality is that our brain is doing this in real time, literally from the moment we're born. Maybe we can't see so well and hear so well, but we can feel things, we can sense things. And the brain seems to do this in real time without ever actually being taught how to do it. Is that fair? Do you know what I mean? Like your mother never says, please use your nose to smell this thing. You just kind of figure it out as stuff goes by. You're like, I know how that works. Right, exactly. Right? But but it's interesting that you then move it onto a machine and you've got to spend all this time teaching it how to do it. And, you know, I've always thought, I can't remember the name of this, type of this type of restaurant. It's not Fusion. But it was really popular like in the late 90s, early 2000s, where they would, like, take something and make it look like a strawberry. I can't remember what they called it. So it didn't smell or taste or even feel like a strawberry, but they shaped it like that and made it red. So that when you put it in your mouth, you know, it was like beef. It just freaked out your sensory perception. Yeah, because, and there was this whole, I think it started at Il Bulo or something in in Spain. I cannot remember the names of these things because I wasn't expecting to talk about it. But the idea is that it messed with your sensory perception, your sight perception and your sounds because it tricked you into believing it was one thing. And I know this is a weird segue, but what it means is that the data that you get like has to be understood before you can actually analyze it, if that's fair. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So we talk a lot about in the big data space, in the data analytics space, that if the data is not clean, it's kind of meaningless. It's garbage in and garbage out. Right. right? But how, how important from your perspective, I want to get back to the driving in a second, but how important is from your perspective that the data is actually clean? Because what you're doing is you're taking a camera and you're filming the road as I'm driving. But the other thing you're doing is filming me. So you can watch my reactions to the road, and then try to—I think—and then try to make some I, to try to make some sense of what the road is doing, what I'm doing at the same time, and then trying to teach me how to be better at that. Is that is that fair, at least simplistically? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, you might have these kind of weird
1: moments where you know you you, you think you're eating a strawberry, but it actually is some beefy right uh, morsel or whatever. Um, so. How I'd characterize that is you've built up a lot of experience over time. It's really natural, fluid process that humans learn. And you build up this store of basically experience that you use to understand the world. And then there's some contradiction, right? There's, there's, there's something that happens that's out of the norm. And right. you have this kind of reaction, like, well, what is that? It's very similar to how we kind of approach artificial intelligence with Jam. So for us, it's we're really understanding how you know someone drives, and that it's it's not something that you can assess in one hour. It's something that takes a lot of time to build up, build up a understanding of the ways people drive, what their their patterns and their in their um, driving you know their driving patterns. And after a while, we have all of this experience. We're able to say, hey, look, that was something that was out of the norm. It was unusual for you to do that right? in your pattern. It's kind of like that beefy strawberry. <laughs> it's unusual. It's just unusual to the system. The system says, hey, I've built up all this experience. I know how you, what you normally do. And, and look, this is different. And, and that's fundamentally really kind of core. That's a really core part you know, in AI anomaly detection. But because we do that, we're able to, to kind of really get at this question. How, how safe do I drive?
0: but how do you, is there a score for it? In other words, if I'm driving, do I get a score? If you're driving, do you get a score? Can they be compared? And if they can, is that how you sort of send some of that information back to the insurance companies so that they can then figure out how to better insure me or in a, in a more reasonable way? Yeah, so scoring is, is is challenging, right? Because what you're
1: saying is that it's on some standardized scale, right? zero to one. And that each, each little increment, you know, like each, Ten points, or you know, percentage, it means something. Means that you know you're this much safer, but it's really hard to standardize, at least initially. It's really hard to standardize because you need some type of like truth. And so, what what is the truth? It's it's actually it's it's kind of morbid. <laughs> it's kind of what morbid? Yeah. It's the truth is is when does someone get into a car accident? Right. When does someone make a claim? You know, and from that, that's basically what we're using as labels as saying that this is something bad that happened. And what are the things that led to it? What are the components of, of that trip that correlate with you know this this car accident? And so if you're able to do that, let's say that we have a bunch of data that, you know, collision data, we're able to say definitively that this behavior leads to car accidents. And that's the truth criterion. That's the standardized scale. So when we have a population of drivers, right, and we say, these, these these population of drivers get into accidents, they have this common trait, they have this common behavior. We're able to, you know, draw associations and say, and and start to actually rank drivers according to that population, right? Because it's not gonna happen to everybody. It's gonna happen to a few, some people more, some people less. And then so from a, from a population perspective, we're able to really kind of get at it. We'll have enough data to say, okay, this this, this person's safe and this person's risky according to. This collisions.
0: Because I was just wondering, you know, when you talk about a score, right? It's like in bowling, it's like 0 to 100 or, or 0 to 300, excuse me, right? So you know what it is. It can't go higher. It's only, it can only go to 0. So it's very understood. If I bowl a 299 and you bowl a 299, I know exactly who won the game, right? It's even kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But in this, it seems like it's a little bit more subjective at some level. And I'm curious about this. Let's say on day one, I install a jam camera. So there's no data on me at all, nothing. But you do have population data about people like I am that live in my neighborhood that's public, right? And that's anonymized. So can you attach that to me from the beginning and then watch the way I drive? Does that make sense? Or do I start from zero on the day the camera gets installed?
1: Basically how it works is that, let's say that you start driving. We'll basically take time to build up statistically regular patterns of driving behavior for me, yeah yeah and we break down behavior in terms of three pillars but it's like alertness which is fundamentally is your attention patterns on the road style which is you know essentially telematic information like how how, how fast you're going how, how fast you're breaking this is historical historically been used in the last 10 years for right. uh, insurance and then composure which is a little bit more sophisticated, it kind of considers, you can think of them as like driving rules, you know, kind of like if you're to get into a car and you're to take a, a driver's test, you know, are you looking both ways before, you know, you make a turn? Are you checking your blind spot, so on, and so forth. And so we built up these, these patterns in your driving, right? Then we're able to say, okay, sometimes you have these these wild deviations, you know, you have these events that are unusual, right? Maybe you're distracted longer than usual. And so we, we we flag those. We say, okay, this is this is something that's interesting to you for, for you to look at as a driver. We build up that over time and we have these like kind of events that we're able to say, okay, in this population, these people have more events, these people have less events. And then we're finally able to correlate that according to, you know, let's say collisions or claims. And so then we're able to really say, okay, here's the threshold, right? Someone doesn't get more than 100 events, let's say throughout, the, you know, their trip, but you have 1000 events, right? <laughs> what are you doing on average, right? Yeah, okay. So we could we're able to normalize it with a distribution over the population. So it's, it goes from zero to one, right? Yep, over the population. And that's really how we kind of standardize it. But the, the truth, the real truth is, though, if, if you get into, if you make claims, you get into a collision. That's when we're really definitively able to say that this event This thing that happened is risky. And this thing happens more frequently in you than other drivers.
0: And since you have a camera, I mean, since the camera's the thing capturing the data, do you adjust for, you know, people riding a bicycle in front of your car or somebody running across the street against a light kind of thing? Is there that much data that you get that you can understand at that level of granularity?
1: Absolutely. We think of it as layers,
0: right? When you first start, you're going to do very simple things
1: very simple rule-based kind of, hey, um, is the person checking their blind spots more often than the other person? Right. Checking their mirrors, and that kind of gives you kind of the starting point to kind of make these kind of population-wide comparisons. But then you might have these like weird things, you know, like, like uh, it, it looks risky, right? Let's say that, you know, you slam on the brakes, and then it was actually like a child those jumps out in front of your car. In which case, you're really actually being a really safe driver, yeah. right? maybe maybe your alertness, maybe your attention on the road is just fantastic. Then that moment you slam on the brakes, these things happen they're They're pretty normal, single kind of rare events like that. And we don't we consider things really from a high level like perspective, like what happens on average over a long period of time, let's say months. And so of course, there's going to be these weird random events, but they are pretty rare and they don't happen every day and so eventually you know they kind of wash out with, with how much data we have
0: what are the second order implications of having this camera there in other words i understand the safe driving and i understand the insurance aspect to it but is this solving any other problems like for instance in bangkok it's it's so packed on the road it would be neat if we could use some of this information to reduce traffic and make cities smarter. If that makes sense. So the second order, you know,
1: impact and you know things that I think really kind of the value-driven aspect of jam, in my opinion, that's is that you know we have these population-wide problems. You know, global warming is an example of that. We have these individuals. It, 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 it's on the basis of individuals making decisions. Hey, a little bit, you know, what what's the harm of throwing your cup on the ground, right? It's just a cop, right? And from an individual perspective, it's, it's really not a big deal, right? right. But in, everybody throws their one cop. And because we have so many people, it, these, these, these problems start to compound. And they are population scale, right? The aspirational goal of Jam is to really kind of help drivers understand their driving. Occasionally, someone doesn't really understand what they're doing, Yeah. really understand how risky they are they get in a car accident fatally. Right. Uh, I think in, in the U.S. it's a little bit more common that you know you have fatal accidents everybody has one friend or a friend of a friend who has died in a car accident and it's something we just kind of accept you know maybe we put like uh kind of like a talisman or some type of safe <laughs> safe driving kind of uh, thing. On the mirror do people still yeah. do that? Yeah you know it might be might be uh you know your favorite your favorite deity <laughs> <laughs> sometimes multiple
0: TDS just in case
1: you pick you pick yeah and so you know a lot of uncertainty you know and and a lot of people you know they're really not sure if you know driving is is pretty much unsafe especially maybe in you know bangkok where there there are fatalities every year and so what i see as as as, first of all is that you know we're able to kind of tackle at scale uh these population wide problems right smart cities is something sci-fi futuristic really amazing like in terms of the, the idea of a city that pretty much transforms according to you, you know, according according to how humans interact with it, according to patterns and kind of what's going on in the city, it's kind yeah. of like a living, breathing organism in a sense, because it's responsive in some in some odd way. I've heard of traffic management systems in, in, in uh, China, for example, that actually will adjust how many lanes on a highway according to how many drivers at a certain time, and it's all automated. There's no manual process where a guy has to go out and move the thing, right? Move and the so, pylons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so we can think of the cities as being more and more responsive to us, you know? And uh, it becomes more intelligent so that things like car accidents are a thing of the past. Eventually, I, I think smart cities are, it requires a lot of capital to kind of get them going. I don't see a lot of cities really doing it at scale yet, but I do think it's an exciting future where. We're able to measure,
0: you know, traffic patterns and reconfigure the city itself. What do you think about a place? You live in Singapore, right? Right. What do you think about a place like Singapore where the roads seem to be super organized, where, God, I haven't been there. Is it called ESP? Those big signs they have everywhere? I can't remember. I haven't been there in two years now. It's the longest I've not been in Singapore my whole life, thanks to COVID. There must be some work. Do you see any work going on in Singapore for traffic management or smart cities type stuff where... A camera that sits on a car like Jam's camera would actually benefit them. So there's a sharing of information, even if it's anonymized. Do you know what I mean? Yes and no. Okay. As a
1: driver, I don't want to share my information to anyone. Fair enough. And we take the stand that, you know, this is your information. Right. You agree with what it's shared and to whom. And let's say that, you know, someone wants it, you know, like uh, categorically we we don't give it up. We don't give any of your videos out to insurers. We don't give, un- un- unless you consent, right? Right. Now, when we're thinking about how did do, how does it play, you know, role into the, the larger city? Like, how do how do we sh- start coming up with ways of sharing? There's a really interesting kind of application that I think is pretty well aligned. But it basically understanding that, you know, if there's ever an accident, right? Let's say that you get an accident or someone else you see an accident on the road. We basically could. Inform first responders to come to the site. Right? Interesting. As fast as possible, right. and because in those in those critical moments of, of car accident, which is something that we're trying to eliminate, seconds are precious. And so that's one application that I see like being really useful and something that we can do relatively soon. In terms of doing traffic management at scale, that's something that is possible. I think it's a little combination of the city being advanced enough to handle it as well as us being at scale. And
0: I want to talk about data for a little bit. And then, I mean, just because it's the nexus of everything that you do, right? So you gather all this data. What kind of systems do you have in place to manage the data, to clean the data, all that kind of stuff that's necessary to actually get it to a point where it can properly be analyzed? Great questions. You know, if you look at the
1: dogma of machine learning, it's all about, you know, data cleaning and, and pretty much, Normalizing your data, making sure there's no outliers, making sure that it comes from a good sensor uh, these these are really fundamental parts of a machine learning model because you can build a model that can extract as much information out of, out of your data as possible right but if you have bad data, you can't do anything with that there's no there's no patterns in it there's nothing that you can extract and so getting really good data is something that we consider as high importance, um, I consider as high importance. And how we do that is is obviously just having great sensors in the car, high quality cameras, something that we want to invest in is not low quality. I mean, we have to do a little bit of patching in terms of we, we transmit everything right now in terms of a 4G uh, connection. And sometimes, you know, you're transmitting information, things get lost. Yeah, lost, lost in, 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 this, you know, in the bandwidth. And there's ways of, you know, if, if you know what the error source is, there's ways of, of kind of controlling for that. Right. But it's when you don't know. It's when you don't know. It's when, it's when the random things happen that
0: you can't control for. And do you have a, you must have a data science team though, yeah? Well, actually, Jam is really early. We're really in the beginning
1: phase. We started nine months ago and we've built out an impressive team of mostly marketing, let's say, like, uh, you know, the business side, because right now we're, Really focusing on, you know, grabbing market shares is is our number one priority. Um, improving the business model. The data science team is something that we'll be building up shortly, and I am thrilled, ecstatic to you know kind of get at this these problems. So yeah, a lot of the architectural things in terms of how it works and putting the pieces together are things that I've been drafting papers on. Okay, but the hardcore data analysis is
0: something that we have um, that we're just beginning. That sounds awesome. Do you wanted to because you, you put this in your notes, right? Do you want to talk about how IOT itself just at scale is going to enable the next wave of innovation? I'm really curious what you think about this because you're doing it every day, right? And I think sometimes I always used to wonder, and I think I said the same thing to Guy when I spoke to him on another show. Yeah, my CEO.: Yeah, like why weren't there why are mirrors still on cars? Like why weren't there more cameras implemented? for the side mirrors, cause then the cars could be more aerodynamic. Like, I just never understood that. Do you also think like putting more sensors and more cameras on the car, or does it at some point just become too invasive? Do you know what I mean? Cause you can gather so much more data, right? Cameras being invasive. <laughs>
1: hey, that's a sliding bar. You know, I'm looking at a camera right now. <laughs> no, I know, I know. It's not being
0: recorded though, for sure. It, it is really kind of a sliding bar when you think about... Uh, yeah, for sure. Because there are cameras everywhere. I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it in a negative way. I just meant like, should we get more information from it so then we can become better drivers, right? In other words, I'd much rather have a camera as a mirror than a mirror as a mirror because you lose that, you know, these objects are closer than they appear kind of problem. Mm.
1: Okay, so I get it. So you have like this... This dashboard, right? It's in the right. center console, and that's going to show you kind of what's on your left and right.
0: Yeah, or heads up, or whatever. The best, whatever the best way to do it is, right? Absolutely, absolutely.
1: So we can start playing with these kind of pretty much the interface of the driver, right? Like, you know, what is the driving experience, and how do we kind of augment the driver? I think the biggest I, I, well pushback is that it, you know you're kind of facing culture, like a culture of driving. Yep. But that isn't to say that that's changeable in, in the future. I've seen really interesting ideas where the front window pane is this kind of like gamified kind of like experience, LED experience. where You get to see kind of uh, things light up and change kind of like what you would imagine like an autonomous vehicle. And you see that, and you see what what they're processing. You can right. actually visually display it to the driver. In some ways, you know, Jam is maybe the beginning of this more kind of data driven approach to really incorporating the the driver into their into their driving, right? Because I think we look at you know the last 10 years, there's been a huge push towards automating driving, autonomous vehicles. Right. And it's a huge problem that I think was underestimated in its complexity. And you know, hey, it may take another 10, 15 years before we have it at scale but i think it's actually the thesis is wrong is that let's let's get rid of the driver right let's completely automate everything and i think a lot of people enjoy driving
0: mm.
1: a lot of people in, have fun kind of interacting with the you know road some people don't but some people do and drivers are here to stay for the foreseeable future i don't think we're just going to jump into it, autonomous vehicles in like the next like tomorrow for example so we're able to kind of augment that experience by really kind of showing them how they drive. Um, and so with Jam, it's just one camera, right? But we're able to kind of piece together, and I think this is the most important part piece together over time. What do you do over time? Right. Because that's the, that's the part that we don't pay attention to. You know, you, you, you get to A to B and you don't care how you got there. Now you have an assistant that basically can show you these are the key points that you've done. That maybe, you know, this is where you could have really hurt yourself or not and so we have really just kind of one interface to that that's kind of our driving app yep so it's not much of a dashboard it's not like hey there's no windows or or mirrors and this is some super high-tech interface but it's the beginning of that right because we have an interface
0: it's just through your app it's in conventional terms for now though i mean i think it would be super cool if and obviously the camera must have some kind of gps functionality in it so it knows where you are where where you started and where you went But it would be neat to be able to then go back and then overlay those things and see what the best route is just for yourself for the places that you go all the time, right? So you can use that app for that type of thing too, right? So you're saying, wait, I'm going to go to grandma's house. I know the way I'm going this time because the last time, like there's always more traffic on route seven than there is on route three kind of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely, right? Because you have it over time and, you know, hey, we're really trying to analyze it. If you think about Google Maps, whatever, that's going to tell you over the population what's going on, right? right? But there's nothing really specific to you, which is maybe even like an absurd you know, proposition, but like, hey, you're really happy when
0: you're on this route. <laughs> yeah, but again, you, you go back to this psychology thing, right? In other words, right. I remember when we used to drive from Tokyo down to the beach in Shimoda, and there were two distinct ways you could go. One was on a highway and you could literally go 120, 130 kilometers an hour so you could get there faster, but the other one was right down the ocean. And traffic being equal, the second option was way better because you could just go wow, and the camera's catching your response. If there is some kind of connection between the human psychology and the artificial intelligence, it should know that, and it should kind of refer you to hey don't don't forget to take route one down the coast because that's the better drive. Yeah, it's like you loved it. Oh <laughs> well, yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think you know hey don't take let's 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 spin it like don't take uh, route. 666 you know or whatever because you hated it you're right. you you're, you're a pain yeah <laughs> it's visible like and we can we can you know with with um, emotional processing we could and i think and there's one point that i want to i want to remark about you know um because when i think of that i'm like oh okay well what, what's this thing that's going to tell me why is you know it, it it seems like it's kind of like in my personal space you know that information is pretty sensitive to me yep. when we think about technology we you know it's, it's new technology, it kind of really occupies our, our mind, you know, It's like, oh wow, what's this new shiny thing? This is unusual, right? And so we really kind of focus in on it. And so, you know, if you were to say, okay, yeah, me and you go on a, me, you, and Jam go on a, on a, on a, on a drive, and right. then, oh, no, it's just me, you, and the camera, right? right.
0: It sounds like, hey, who, who's this
1: person that's looking at me, right?
0: Right, who's the third person in the car? Right,
1: right. I think fundamentally we need to see it as kind of being incorporated in part of the vehicle right as something that's forgotten about really and and there's like for good reasons too it's not just that like hey forget about this like intruder in your car or forget about this thing that I don't know why you know it's in the car here, yeah but I think it's it's really about building a relationship with the driver we don't just start with the emotional processing and say hey look this is it this is this is you I think it's it's, it's we have to really think about especially you know the development team the AI team is about how, how do you make this really trustable so you, you really do feel like it's part of your in your personal, uh, uh, space, that this is something that you would accept, something that you would really enjoy. And I think it's all about building trust about this is your data and that we're fundamentally here
0: to help you understand yourself, not,
1: not for any other purpose, but you know,
0: to help. Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, plenty of people are very happy having a driver in the car. That's a real other third person who's listening to all of your comments. You know what I mean? Like if you're worried about that, then you're probably worried about the wrong thing. And if, if Jam is built the right way, which it is, and both you and Guy, so the CEO have said this explicitly, very focused on sort of data privacy and ensuring that that data is not sold or sent around for any other purposes except just to help the driver, right? Right. What Things that you consent to. Yeah. Fair enough. So did you want to talk about IoT a little bit more? How it's the new revolution? Yeah. How machines are gonna just keep talking to each other when we're not paying attention? That's a joke, by the way.
1: You know, right now, we see a lot of failures in IoT, right? We have Google Glasses that just kind of tanked. I see a lot of robotics companies um, that are kind of IoT focused that right. you know, fall apart over time. IoT is really difficult, really challenging, because the machine, you have, a, you have a hardware component, you have a software component. This hardware costs a lot of money. And sometimes the hardware exceeds the value of the data. So when you think about smartwatches, there was, there was a serious battle that was being fought with smartwatches originally starting with a specific application, specific use case. People you know, were really interested in, 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 in basically um, you know, monitoring their, their heart, heart rates. Um, and eventually, it, over time, it becomes widespread a- a- adoption. There's value in the data because it's shareable, because you want to share it right with a doctor or something like that. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're doing a, a run, run tracker, right. You know, to track you running, you can share it with other people and you build a community around your data. Yep. Well, what I'm saying with IoT is that, you know, if, if the cost of the device ex- exceeds the, the shareability of the data, then it's not, it's it doesn't not really, matter. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter, but, but there's, there's really, I'm really optimistic about IOT in general, because I think of it as the next wave of computers, right. And to really reach that kind of like if you were to see like, look at the Internet, you know, had some really specific use cases that were eventually, you know, more and more popularized and they became uh, used in businesses. And then eventually just everyone has, you know, a computer with connection to the Internet. It's this kind of democratization of the technology that makes it interesting. And so when we think about IoT right now, the cost of the hardware, makes it limited. You can think in the same way that early computers were limited to a few applications. And those applications are growing over time. But it's only when everybody has access to basically pretty much these IoT products, and they're configurable, right? Like you, you, can, you can put apps on it, you can customize it to how you want it, and share your data with others that we're able to kind of get these really interesting applica- uh, applications that are kind of pretty much unthinkable right now. Like if you think about early days of the internet, think about all the things you could, that has spun out of the internet, right? It's this 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 comes from mass adoption and 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 just a lot of people coming up with their own kind of creative solutions, right? Yeah. Um, and so we really need to think about pushing IoT towards a kind of a platform democratized. You can configure it how you want to if you want to, and share your data accordingly and. And then of course obviously decrease the cost of it it shouldn't cost you two hundred dollars right to have something like that it should be really cheap let's say like 25 dollars right and that that's when I think that we can start you know putting these sensors in your houses and then if you can configure it how you want it you know to for the random experience the random applications that you want then yeah go for it like uh, just a concrete example of that is uh, imagine um, there's these I was looking at makers so I think these hacker maker clubs are basically like kind of like the internet nerds of like today. Like the internet nerds of the '70s are like these hacker maker clubs today. You know, funnily enough, they like put a collar on a a cat that basically detects if there's free Wi-Fi. (laughs) (laughs) So you send out your cat, and it's it's gonna roam roam your neighborhood to find your you know your free Wi-Fi spots. (laughs) And so that's like something I would have never thought about doing. There you go. So, you know, imagine I, I think when you, when you start having these little devices that you can start doing a lot of cool things with them.
0: And you need to have the economies of scale to make that stuff possible. Otherwise, the cost cannot come down. I mean, it's the same thing with computing with automobiles and with kind of everything else. You're going to have to have way more sensors out there. Again, that benefit people, right? To be able to do that type of thing.
1: Yeah, and there needs to be greater literacy in how to use it. right? Uh, if you think about you know how coding is becoming more and more prevalent it's almost i think you would see maybe kids today know how to code much more than kids 10 years ago well we could see that you know times it by 10 you, you, you have everybody who knows how to configure these hardware devices know how to build these little hardware devices know how to share data put it on the internet like you know
0: then you you really can start coming up with some creative things yeah definitely something to look forward to okay arthur i'm gonna let you go that was Awesome. Arthur Wanzel, a co-founder and the head of artificial intelligence at JAM. Thank you so much for coming and doing this today. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure.